Thank you very much for that. Good morning, everyone. Today, I want to talk to you about a nickname. I don't know if you've ever had any nicknames. I've had a couple in my time. Sometimes I've been called Bunty because my surname is Bunt. I quite like that one. But sadly, my old brother kind of has the monopoly on that, at least around here. When I was a teenager, some of my friends used to call me the old man. Basically because I had a bit of a tendency to be a bit like a grumpy old man. I hope I'm a bit better now. I don't know. You'll have to ask them. You see, some nicknames are just a bit of fun. But Bunty just sounds like my name, just a bit of fun. Some nicknames actually mean something. The old man was a nickname given to me because it meant something. It says something about who I am and what I'm like. And today we're going to meet a guy with a nickname which means something. A name which told us something about him. His name was Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. And the big question I want to ask us today is, could that nickname be applied to us? Are you a son or a daughter of encouragement? And how can we grow and become more like that? We're going to read uh, in the book of Acts, in Acts 11 in a minute. If you've got a Bible, do turn there. As you'll know, if you've been with us in the last few months, we are currently going through a series called Acts of Courage, reading through the book of Acts, the book of the New Testament that tells us about the first 30 or so years of the early church. And we've come quite a long way now. At the end of Luke's Gospel, we see Jesus is crucified by the Romans, but then he's raised back to life. And the beginning of Acts, just before Jesus goes back to heaven to be with God the Father, he gives the disciples, his followers, a commission. He says, you're to be my witnesses, telling people the good news that I'm now king in Jerusalem, the city where we are, in Judea and Samaria, that's like the surrounding areas, and out to the ends of the earth. And as we've read through Acts, we've seen that progression. We saw the church in Jerusalem. We saw them get established. We saw the Holy Spirit come. We saw healings. We saw the community life of the church. Then we saw the gospel expand and go into Judea and Samaria. Philip went off to Samaria and encountered Simon. All lots happened there. Well, today we get to the point where the gospel really starts to go to the ends of the earth as we meet the church in Antioch. Antioch was a really big, really important city in the ancient world. Probably the third largest city in the Roman Empire. And the church that gets planted there has a huge influence in spreading the good news about Jesus across to the ends of the earth. So we're going to pick up the story in Acts 11, starting at verse 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. This church gets started when things go bad in Jerusalem. Stephen, one of the early Christians, gets killed. We heard about this a few months ago. And just like when a pebble is thrown in water and the ripples go out and out, all of a sudden, this persecution happens and the Christians are spread out and out across the country, out of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is no longer a safe place to be. And some of these people go quite a long way. We can see on a map up here, they start in Jerusalem, down the bottom. Some of them, Luke tells us, go up to Phoenicia, which is that coastal strip on Syria. Some go over to the island of Cyprus, and some go all the way up to the city of Antioch. But these first lot that went, they went, Luke tells us, speaking only to Jews. The Jews are the people who had the Old Testament. They'd inherited the promises God had given to Abraham and had passed down through the generations. They believed and worshipped only one God. Because you see, these Christians who'd gone from Jerusalem, just like Peter we heard about last week, hadn't yet understood that the good news that Jesus is king is good news for everyone. But there were some who did get this. 
Men tells us that men of Cyprus, the island, and of Cyrene, which is a city in the north of Africa, spoke to the Hellenists. Hellenists were people who spoke Greek. They thought Greek. They were Greek through and through. They weren't Jews. They believed in many different gods, worshipped at the Greek temples. But these people coming from Jerusalem knew that the fact that Jesus was king was good news for them too. And notice Luke says they went preaching the Lord Jesus. All throughout Acts, we've often seen the apostles preaching Jesus Christ, Jesus as the Messiah, the anointed, promised saviour, talked about in the Old Testament. These guys didn't know the Old Testament. As they say, this guy Jesus, he's Lord. And the ancient world, that meant a big deal. In the ancient world, there were lots of different lords you would go to at the temples and you'd ask them to heal you or look after you or give them a safe journey. And the emperor himself called himself Lord. And the emperors fashioned themselves as these kind of divine figures. And they said, we are the saviors of the world. They said, we are coming to proclaim good news. Actually, these guys are saying, no, no, no. The savior of the world is King Jesus and only King Jesus. And then Luke tells us, the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. This is how a church gets planted. People go, they share the good news about Jesus. And people turn away from their old life and turn to follow Jesus. And notice the really interesting comment that this was because the hand of the Lord was with them. The hand of the Lord is a a metaphor, a picture for the power of God. You know, the only reason that any of us ever turn to Jesus is because God's done something in our hearts first. And in a sense, today is a side note for me, but I think it's so important that we know this for two reasons. First of all, if the only reason I'm here today is because God's done something in my heart, it means I have nothing to boast about. I'm no better than anyone else. It's only because God loved me and sent his son for me that I'm here today. That's why we worship. That's not like we had this morning. The other reason it's really, really, really good to know is it means that when we're telling people about Jesus, when we're talking to our friends or our family or work colleagues, it's not our job to make them believe in Jesus. The Bible says, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, we kind of sow seeds, we water seeds, but it's God who brings the growth. I don't know if you've ever tried gardening. I'm not all that great at it. But you can sow, you can water, you can do what you like. You can't make, you can't force a plant to grow. God can. When we're telling our friends about Jesus, we are sowing seeds, we are watering, and we need to keep on doing it. But we're to rest in the knowledge that God is the one who brings the growth. And that's his heart. He wants to do that. That is what he did here in Antioch. So suddenly in Antioch, there's this big new church. Lots of people who probably don't know much about Jesus at all, don't know the Old Testament. What do they need? What's going to happen? Well, this is where we go down to the church in Jerusalem, and this is where we meet our friend Barnabas. So let's pick up the story from verse 22. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. The church in Jerusalem was the first church to get established, a big, important church, and they hear what's happening in Antioch, and they think, these guys are going to need some help. As they look around, they think, okay, who are we going to send? And they set on a man called Barnabas. As far as we know, at this point, Barnabas was just a member of the church. He wasn't an elder. He wasn't, at this point, an apostle, though he seems to have been later. He was just a member of the church, but they picked Barnabas because he was a man they knew God could use. 
that he was a man they knew would build up the church in Antioch. And here is where I think we've got something we can learn today. If we want to be built up as a church, we need lots of men and women like Barnabas. So my encouragement to you today is to be a Barnabas. Let God make you into a Barnabas. And as we read in Acts 11, I think there are three things which kind of reveal to us why the church in Jerusalem chose Barnabas as the man to go. They're the three things I want to focus on, the three things I want to say. Are they uh, in evidence in your life today? If so, how can you grow in them? If not, how can you start showing them? The first thing is that Barnabas was an encourager. When Barnabas turns up in Antioch, he sees everything that God's been doing. And Luke tells us he exhorted or he encouraged them to all remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Barnabas was an encourager. In fact, there was so much who he was, it had become his name. His real name is actually Joseph. We read in Acts 4 that his name he was given was Joseph. But the apostles so recognized him as a man who encourages, that they said, we're going to call this man Barnabas, son of encouragement. I just wonder, if someone had to give you a nickname today, would it be as good as that? I'd love to have that nickname. It's a pretty good one. To encourage means to speak truth to someone in order to help them. I think it's quite closely linked to the idea of honouring. We've talked quite a lot about in the last 12 months. It's to see the good in someone, to see the good that someone does and is doing, and to express it. And it's a way of building people up, of helping them grow through our words. And I think to encourage is really countercultural, And therefore, I think we need to be really proactive in making sure we do it. You don't have to spend long scrolling down your Facebook or Twitter feed, read much of the newspaper, have the TV on very long, to see that we don't very quickly speak positively of people. We don't very quickly build up with our words. We complain, we groan, we speak negatively, we pull people down with our words. We need to be really conscious of this, really deliberate and really proactive about doing it. I also think we need to start making sure we do this, as it were, in private behind closed doors. Because what you say in private, when you think it doesn't matter what you say because the people you're with know you really well, will shape what you say in public. If behind closed doors you're speaking really negatively about people and pulling people down and picking out all the bad things, that's going to flow out of your heart when you're with other people, when you're in public, as it were. But if actually, even behind closed doors of your closest friends, you are pulling out the positives, you're speaking well of people, that is going to flow out of your heart when you're with other people. That's what we need to do. I had a lovely example of this this, this, of this this week. I was in the office upstairs, beaming away, and Alex just completely spontaneously just thanked me for the way I was leading something. He encouraged me to keep going with it. And in that moment, quite unexpectedly, I was built up. And I thought, I'm glad I'm doing this. I thought, I want to do this well. It made me want to keep doing it. It made me want to keep doing it better. Such a simple thing. And it made such a difference to my day. So are you an encourager? Are you someone who builds people up? Or actually, do people go away from you feeling kind of torn down? But actually, Barnabas' encouragement in Acts 11 is a bit more specific than that. Luke tells us he encouraged them to remain faithful to the Lord. Barnabas' encouragement was Jesus-focused. He was pointing people always to keep looking, to keep sticking with Jesus. And I think that's why the church in Jerusalem sent him. They knew that this guy is going to point those people to Jesus, and that's what they need. You know, we're not meant to live life in isolation. There's a reason that God has put us together as churches, as bodies. Sometimes being a Christian is just really, really hard. 
And actually what we need is other people to encourage us. No, no, look to Jesus again. Stick with Jesus. Keep trusting him. Keep spending time with him. Keep on following him. It's a bit like we can be a plane in a storm or in bad fog and we kind of can't see where we're going. And what we need is air traffic control to radio in our ears and tell us, no, you need to turn that many degrees to get back on course. Someone outside of our difficult situation can help us and can point us back to Jesus. A few years ago, a number of years ago now, I had a fantastic example of this in my life. I was going through a really, really difficult time. I was really struggling to follow Jesus, finding life really painful. And I was really not sure if I was going to keep going. And a friend just simply said to me, Andrew, do you really think you've given Jesus enough time to help you or enough chance to help you before you give up? In that moment, nothing in my life changed. Nothing in my circumstances changed. But something in me changed. Something in me went, no, and you're right. I've got to turn again back into the right course to look to Jesus again, to spend time with Jesus again. We're talking in this series about courage and our acts of courage. For some of us in some seasons of life, our act of courage will simply be to keep going, to keep loving and trusting Jesus, even when life is painful and looks black and difficult. And you know, when you encourage someone in that situation by pointing to Jesus, you are giving them the courage to keep on going. Friends, we need to be doing this, looking out for each other, encouraging, pointing each other to Jesus, even in the darkest moments. And I think this is really easy to chicken out of. Sometimes I kind of think, oh, I could encourage someone to look to Jesus here, but I think, oh, that's a bit super spiritual, I'm not going to do that. Or I just think, oh, that's kind of a bit cheesy, it's kind of the obvious thing to say. Actually, I think we've got to move away from that. I think this is biblical encouragement, which we need. I want talking to my friends about Jesus, pointing them to Jesus, to seem as normal to them as us talking about the goggle box or what I've done on my day off. And you know, if we all did this, we would suddenly, as a church, mature at an incredible rate. If our heart's desire for each one of us was to point each other to Jesus, to keep saying, stick with Jesus, follow Jesus, spend time with Jesus, we would mature as a church at an incredible rate. So do you encourage people to stick with Jesus and to look to Jesus? And just think now, how in your life can you do that more? What opportunities in your life do you have to do that? So the first reason that Barnabas was the man Jerusalem sent to Antioch was that he was a man who encouraged. The second reason was he was a man who had developed the right character and heart. Luke tells us Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. You know, God's far more concerned about your heart and your character than he is about any of your abilities or anything you do. So often we're like the little child who gets a present, unwraps it, and then spends hours playing with the wrapping paper, completely ignoring the fact that the important thing is sitting right next to the paper. We're like that. We focus on, I wonder how I look today. I wonder what that person's thinking of me. I bet they think I'm a very good Christian. Actually, God's going, I don't care what you look like. I care about your heart. Does your heart love me? Are you spending time with me? Are you relying on me as your heavenly father? And I think Barnabas had got this. God could use Barnabas. And Barnabas had become an encourager because he'd focused on his heart. Barnabas is the only person in all of Acts to be described with the simple word good. Goodness so characterized who he was that Luke's reserved it as a term. This man, he, he says, was good. Then he tells us he was full of the Holy Spirit. Luke says this in his gospel about Jesus. And then it acts about Stephen, who he mentioned, and about the deacons chosen to serve in Acts 6. 
Being filled with the Holy Spirit is vital to being who God wants you to be. It's vital to becoming a son or a daughter of encouragement. It's vital to everything in the Christian life. The Holy Spirit helps us to live God's way. He empowers us and guides our choices, and he helps develop this character within us. The Holy Spirit gives us courage and boldness to tell others about Jesus, and he helps us to listen to God and to follow his guidance. Friends, we need to cultivate a habit of daily, hourly even, being filled with the Holy Spirit and being dependent upon him. Is that something you do? Do you stop during your day and say, Holy Spirit, come and fill me. I can't do this without you. And Luke also tells us that Barnabas was a man full of faith. Hebrews tells us this fantastic verse, faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. Faith is an expression of trust. And faith is very different to a kind of empty hope. Empty hope kind of goes, well, this might happen or that might happen. I prefer it's this. Here's hoping I'm going to kind of wait and see what happens. Trust goes, I know, even before it's happened, that this is true. I know that this is going to happen. And the difference between a kind of vain, empty hope and a certain faith is that a certain faith is based on something. Faith in God is based on an understanding of who God is and on the promises of God. Barnabas was a man full of faith because he'd spent time looking at who God is and at what God had promised. Sometimes we think, oh, I'm really struggling with faith. I'm going to try hard. So we kind of sit there and we, we try to manufacture some faith out of ourselves. And then we finish and we think, I don't feel any more faith filled for this than when I started. That's because faith isn't manufactured through effort. Faith is grown by feeding on the word of God. If you find out more about what God is like and more the promises God has given you, you will find faith grow in your heart. A few months ago, I became very conscious that I really struggled to have faith in kind of very practical matters, things like money and housing. And I thought, okay, actually, I need to meditate on the promises of God about this. And so I very deliberately spent some time actually looking, what does God say about his promises to provide for me? And I found that as I did that, actually, faith grew in my heart. And then when soon after I had a, a testing situation in money and housing, I found I was in a much better position to trust my Heavenly Father to provide. Not because I tried really hard to believe, but because I meditated on God's promises to me. Are you someone who's full of faith? Are you growing in faith by being fed with the promises of God and the Word of God? That's the second reason why Barnabas was the man sent. He had the right character. And the final reason was that Barnabas was a man who understood forgiveness and who forgave others. When the church keeps growing, Barnabas thinks, we need some more help. What these guys need is some really good teaching. And he thinks, I know just the man. So he trots off up to the north to uh, Tarsus, and he brings back Saul. The thing you've got to remember is that Saul had been a persecutor of the church. He hated the church. He hated Jesus. He didn't believe Jesus was alive. He didn't believe anything the Christians were saying, and he wanted to wipe them out. Even more than that, remember this church has been planted by people who came to Antioch after Stephen was executed in Jerusalem. Acts 8.1 tells us that when Stephen was executed, Saul stood there and approved of the execution. Barnabas has just brought to this church the man who approves the execution of the friends of the church planters. Because Barnabas has understood that God forgives and that he must forgive in response. You see, Saul had encountered Jesus. You probably know the famous story. 
He'd seen the risen Jesus. He recognized he really was the Son of God. He really was God's promised Savior, and he really was alive. And so Acts 9, Saul goes up to Jerusalem, and he thinks, I want to meet the apostles, I want to meet the disciples. And he turns up, and everyone kind of goes, no, 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 we don't trust you. We know who you are. We know what you've been doing. How do we know you're lying to try and get in here? And if you read Acts 9, Barnabas is the man who goes, no, God's a God who forgives. God has forgiven this man. God has transformed this man. And he brings him to the apostles. And that's kind of the start of the road for Saul. You see, Barnabas understood God's forgiveness. He understood that God is the God who's always lived in relationship with himself in love. And that it's his heart to forgive people. That he sent Jesus so that he might take the punishment. So we might be totally forgiven. And that all we have to do is come and ask him to do that for us. The other reason I think Barnabas could forgive Saul because he knew he'd been forgiving himself. He could kind of have gone, well, I know God's forgiven Saul, but I'm still pretty annoyed that he's killed loads of my friends. But actually, I think Barnabas knew he started off just like Saul. He too had started off rejecting Jesus. He too had started off actually not giving God all his love and all his devotion and all his worship. Because we all do. Paul says in Romans 1, we all start life, we worship the little things down here, the created things, not the creator who is worthy of all our love and worship. And it might not be very obvious for us. We might not bow down before stone statues or worship some trees or some animals. But all of us start life giving our primary love and attention and devotion to something else, to money, to our house, our car, our job, our partner, whatever it might be. We all start, actually, with our hearts turned away from God. But just like Saul, Barnabas had turned back to God. Turned to give God all his love, all his worship, all his devotion. And because he knew he'd come from exactly the same place as Saul, he knew he had no right to judge him. He knew that they were completely equal before God. And so he accepts me. He says, Saul, we need your help down here in Antioch. You see, when you realize that you're no better than anyone else, because we've all started in the same place, we've all needed God's love and mercy in the same way, You can accept anyone. We need to be people who forgive and accept like Barnabas. Sometimes the reason we really struggle to forgive is because actually we've completely misunderstood what forgiveness is. If you think that to forgive someone is to forget something, you can't make yourself do it. You'll really struggle to do it. It might never happen. But forgiveness is choosing not to hold something against someone, even while it still hurts. It's to say, even though that thing you've said or that thing you've done to me still really hurts me, I'm not going to hold that against you. And ultimately, it's saying, God's the judge. He will work out justice, and I leave it in his hands. This means that forgiveness is a choice. You can choose today to forgive someone you haven't forgiven for years and years and years. It will still hurt, but you can choose to release them and not hold it against them. This means often also that forgiveness isn't a one-time thing. I just wonder, you know, when Saul was around, if Barnabas looked at him sometimes and thought, oh, My friend James, he killed my friend James. And in that moment, there'd be this temptation to feel bitterness and anger. And he'd have to choose again, no, I'm going to forgive. I'm not going to hold that against him. Often forgiveness is something we have to do day after day after day, sometimes even hour after hour after hour. We've got to make the choice to do it. The Bible calls us to forgive as God has forgiven us. Are you someone who forgives? Are you someone who can accept anyone just as God does in his mercy. That's the third thing. And the third reason why Barnabas was the man chosen was that he was a man who understood God's forgiveness and he forgave others. 
How are those three things in your life? Where can you grow in those three things in your life? And let's quickly now look. What happens to a church like this? A church which has men like Barnabas, what's going to happen to it? Well, I think we find a church which thrives and which plays its part in God's mission. We're going to pick up the story again uh, halfway through verse 26. In Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. And the first thing that happens to this church is they become known for their love of Jesus. This fascinating little phrase Luke puts in, in Antioch, the disciples who followed Jesus were first known as Christians. And it seems actually the name Christian wasn't given to the believers by themselves. It was originally given by people outside as a nickname, but as a really negative one. They're the Christians, the people of Christ. We find it here, we find it when Paul stands before King Agrippa, and we find it in 1 Peter, when Peter's talking about being persecuted as a Christian, for having kind of the label of a Christian. It wasn't a good term. But what it does show us is that people knew that these guys love Christ. Because Barnabas kept saying, look to Jesus, look to Christ, stick with him. The church had been built up, and even the people in the city around them knew that they loved Christ. The second result is that they became a church who heard from God and who acted in response. Prophets come from Jerusalem. Prophets are people who hear messages from God and act as his mouthpieces, speaking them out to the church. And they tell them that there's a famine coming. And they think, okay, we've got to act in response to this. They know that the guys down in Judea are going to suffer the most, and they decide we're going to send money and resources down to help them. They'd become a church who were listening for God's word, and who were ready to act on God's word, because men and women like Barnabas have been saying, look to Jesus. Stick with Jesus. Keep your ears open to Jesus. And the third result was that they became a church who understood God's heart. This money was being sent to people they didn't know at all. Almost certainly, most of them had never met any of them. It's being sent across geographical boundaries, to a totally different place. It's being sent across ethical boundaries. Most of the church in Antioch are Gentile. Most of the church down in Judea are Jews. Gentiles in the ancient world, they didn't hate Jews, but they thought they were pretty odd. To worship only one god in the ancient world was quite odd and was a bit suspect, because there's always this fear that their Greek and Roman gods might get a bit miffed that you're only worshipping one god. So they take a big step to accept these people. And you see, that's because men like Barnabas has shown them that God forgives and that they're to forgive and accept people in the same way. And that's what they did there. Friends, I'm convinced that we need lots of men and women like Barnabas, lots of sons and daughters of encouragement. We want to be a church who thrive, who mature, and who play our part in God's mission to take the good news that Jesus is now king to our town, to our country, and across the ends of the earth. We want to hear God and respond on the back of it. And if we're going to do that, we've all got to play our part. We've all got to become more like Barnabas, pointing each other to Jesus. So here are my final challenges to you. And just as I ask you these questions, I just want you to make it really personal to you and really practical. What are you going to do differently tomorrow, and Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, to make this a reality in your life? 
Are you a son or a daughter of encouragement? Is that a name which would stick well for you? Do you encourage people by pointing them to Jesus? Are you focusing on developing your character, on being full of the Holy Spirit and growing and being full of faith? Do you understand God's forgiveness to such an extent that it leads you to forgive others? How are you going to be a Barnabas this week? What are you going to do? Who are you going to talk to? Who are you going to forgive today? Maybe you need to accept forgiveness today. Maybe you're here today and actually you don't know Jesus at all. You're not a follower of Jesus. Friend, let me tell you today, God wants to forgive you. He wants to give you a new life. Jesus said that actually even though we've all started worshipping other things, all we need to do is to repent. We stop, we turn, and we say, I'm going to walk to Jesus. I'm going to trust that he is going to accept me. And my life will now be walking in this direction, not in that. He says when we do that, he promises to forgive us, to adopt us as his children, and to give us an eternity to spend with him. If that's you this morning and you'd like to know more, please come and talk to myself, one of the guys at the front here. We'd love to talk with you, and if you'd like, we can pray with you. I'm just going to finish off now by praying for us, asking God to make this stuff settle in our hearts, and then I'll hand back to Paul. Father God, we thank you for Barnabas. We thank you for the example he is to us, that he was a man you could use, and for the fruit that came from that in Antioch. And Father, I pray we do raise up many Barnabases, many sons and daughters of encouragement in this church. Would we be people who point each other to you, who build each other up by pointing each other to you, who are focusing on developing our character, not worrying about the externals, but focusing on our hearts, being full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith, and who truly experience and understand your forgiveness in such a way that it leads us to forgive others. Holy Spirit, we just invite you here now. I pray, Holy Spirit, just come. Come and speak to us. Come and highlight things I've said to us. Come and show us where you want us to grow, where you want us to develop. And I pray now, come and fill in each and every one of us that we might be empowered to be sons and daughters of encouragement as we go away from here this week. And I pray, come and build us up as a church. Come and cause us to thrive and mature and be caught up on your mission because we are a family of Barnabases. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.